0: Welcome to the Reference Counting Podcast. I'm Taylor Hutchison, and somewhere on the other end of the internet is my co-host, Andy Collins. Andy, are you there? I'm here. I'm here in the void. Fantastic. We finally got uh, the tin cans and the the right wire hooked up, and we can speak to each other. Uh, Well, what have you been up to recently? What have you been thinking about? Man, I knew we were going to record today, and I
1: had some thoughts about what I might want to talk about... Uh, and then, uh, something else happened earlier today and I realized that I know what I want to talk about and I don't know if it's going to work out. So let's, uh, let's find out together if this is going to work. Cause so I want to talk a little bit about code over audio. I'm not going to read oh. code, but I, right. I, I did not tell you that this was going to happen beforehand. So you can, you know, feel free to tell me to stop and we'll talk about something else. Sure. Okay. But um, so I have I have a problem in some code that I wrote that I've given to some students who are currently working on a group project, and one of my students this morning was working on it, and this is we're we're recording now on a Saturday, so they don't normally a lot of students aren't working over the weekends. We don't necessarily you know encourage that very much. but sometimes they do when they're on a group project and so that's fine as long as they're you know i trust them to be adults and manage their time well so i try not worry about them mm-hmm. all that much but um this student reached out to me this morning and and described a problem that they were having and they were uh after listening to it and thinking about it i realized it was because of some code i wrote that i provided to them it's got a bug in it and it's kind of mm. a nasty little bug and I thought I might talk to you about it and see if you could, see if uh, you could help me sort of think about the problem. How do you feel? And th- so that this was air. an unintentional,
0: an unintentional bug. Yes. yes. Um. Okay. All right. Had you written this code? Had other students previously worked on this using this code, or was this code written specifically for this group project? This is brand new now uh, because okay. we've changed some things, and I'll give you
1: some context around it a little bit but this yeah this code is i mean we i think i wrote it last weekend so this is saturday i think i wrote it a week mm-hmm. ago
0: and it you know worked fine for a week and then somebody discovered mm-hmm. a problem in it it's the the bit rot you know you you've, you've sent it on it sat for a week and it's lost a couple of bits here and there and now it's not working is that what it is
1: yeah and it and it it worked in the situations I, you know of course where i tested it but then the group project that they're using it in uh ended up being a little more complicated and so we found this hole in it. All right. So let's right. give it a shot. Let me tell you about yeah. it. Okay. So the, the what we're doing is we're building full stack web applications, okay? And the components that we're using, we're using React on the on the front end and we're using ASP.NET Core web API on the back end and we're using Firebase for authentication. Okay? Okay. And so, the the code that I have given them is all centered or centered around the authentication part, because we sort of don't make it a learning objective in mm-hmm. in the boot camp where I teach. We don't make it a learning objective to uh, for them to understand how to implement authentication and authorization. I mean, there's a little bit we do a little bit of that, but we don't. It's not a learning objective because. You know, we sort of tell them very specifically and repeatedly that as junior developers they should not be dealing with security, you know, and so this mm-hmm. is an aspect of that, right? right. And so we say, You're gonna go work somewhere, somebody's going to have written this code for you, and then you'll use it. And so that's sort of the the, the practice we're trying to give them. Is taking this code that they may or may not understand, that's given by a more senior person maybe, and just implementing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is about the authentication code. And let me tell you, so the, the idea here is, or the process is, the user is sitting at a login prompt, right, so they have, there's a React page, it loads a, a username and password, or email and password. Mm-hmm. And we, the JavaScript code, after the user enters their email and password, we hit, a, you know, hit button, call it, you know, a fire a function. And that uh, calls to the React API. So there's a, not React, sorry, Firebase. So the fire, there's a Firebase, I guess SDK that that we're using, and it it, holler, it calls out to Firebase to, to authenticate and the uh, this user. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so after that happens, that's fine. The Firebase library sort of handles all that. But then we want to go and check the API. And so essentially what we're doing is we're saving user information inside of our own database. So Mm -hmm. basically information that's not saved in Firebase. Uh, So we have like a user profile table. It stores like the the first and last name and, you know, maybe some other information about these users. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that it's, I mean, we probably could get away with storing that in Firebase, but it's not kind of the out of the box, simple approach. And then having a user profile table now gives us this entity in our relational database and we can have foreign keys into other tables. And it's just simpler to understand conceptually. Okay. And so the, second, the first phase of login is to connect to Firebase. The second phase of login is to then make an API call to, to, our, to the ASP.NET Core API to verify that that user exists in that database.
0: Hmm. Okay. so they're already in there presumably some admin has added them as well we have separate. there's a
1: registration process as well that's built into okay. this too and the registration process causes done a problem yeah so in this scenario let's assume that there is a user that exists in firebase a user that a user profile record in the database mm-hmm. okay and so yeah you know because it, we pretty much have to do that check I think that would be, be the right thing to do in the real world, anyway. But because we have, you know, users, uh, the students creating Firebase users just at the beginning of the project, manually, and then using the Firebase uh, user UI to do that, and then they kind of go update a SQL script. So we have a, there's there's definitely a very real chance that there's going to be like some out of sync situation where they have a user in Firebase, but it doesn't exist in their local database. So we're trying to check for that. So all that's fine. So that's the two-step process. After we check to see that the users in our API or in our database, then the user like conceptually is logged in. However, the the sort of difficulty that I'm dealing with now is that we also are like the React app is you know reactive. Right? So mm-hmm. there's some kind of state that changes in some top level component. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, like it it kind of re-renders the whole page. Okay. So we actually have this state that we're keeping in sort of the what what React. I, I think it's pretty common to call it the app JS the name of your top level component. So the app component is the top of it, of the tree. Mm-hmm. And it has a is logged in state that it's keeping up with. Okay, so this is logged in state is needs to be you know toggled after the user logs in. The code that I wrote right now, it sort of like in you know not directly but sort of indirectly toggles that is logged in state after the Firebase login, but before the check to the to the uh, API, and so. This ends up causing like, you know, a whole crazy timing issue where we, you know, there's some code that if when the user's logged in that tries to go and like get the user profile from, and a student might be writing this code and this is what happened. Well, this is crazy. So what really happened was it was during the registration process. There's also a similar login process. You create a new user. It re- you register it to Firebase that ask that um, that um, process of registering also logs them into Firebase, and then that was toggling this is logged in flag before the actual user profile record was created in the database. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was causing problems because my student ended up trying to get that user profile from the API before it was created. Mm. Mm-hmm. so i'm not convinced right now that all of me talking about code on this podcast is working out that well so you let me know what do you think
0: <laughs> well uh, i'm 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 with you on the problem um but i want to get to the code part you said you wrote some some code and you think there is a bug in there or you know there's a bug in there maybe Well, the code that I
1: wrote has this issue, and and let's go talk about the registration again. So you register, you have, there's a form, user types in their information. That ends up going to Firebase, like calling the Firebase API, creating mm -hmm. that user. And at that moment, after that, after the Firebase uh, API returns some, you know, created response or something, then the code that I wrote will flip that is logged in to true. Mm-hmm. before the next phase. And the next phase is now let's go create the user profile record in our API, in our in our local database. But that's just the registration part, right? Well, I think the problem would be, I think it'll be, I started talking about login at first because I thought that would be simpler. But I think you would end up with a similar problem in, in the login state. I think there's a bug there too because you end up, Saying that the user is logged in before you know a hundred percent for sure that their record exists in the database, mm-hmm. and it's it is manifesting itself in more nasty ways in the registration because we there's some my student wrote some code that after the user was logged in, after that login flag is flipped to true, to try to go and get the current user profile from the database, mm-hmm. but. That is, that is happening before that record is created. So that's definitely blowing up.
0: So is there a state that you want to, to say that a person can be logged in with Firebase? Um, so I've never worked with Firebase, but I presume it's, it's gonna be something similar to how a lot of other identity providers work. You, you provide some credentials and they give you back a token. Uh, some type of json web token that has some claims and, and whatnot inside of it and then you can go to the uh, authoritative identity server and say is this token valid and is it you know is that is that right you, you your front-end application can have the token and it passes it along with all its api calls and then the, the api server will revalidate that token is that what's happening
1: yeah that's exactly what's happening and just a little subtlety there the firebase sdk that we're using Handles the process of storing that token. It stores it in Indexed DB in the inside
0: the browser. Interesting. That's but, an interesting choice. I'm, I mean, um, I'm usually used to seeing it as session storage or local storage. I wonder why Indexed DB was chosen.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I I was surprised the first time I discovered it was Indexed DB too. But I sort of chalked it up to me not
0: being an expert in this and deciding that they probably knew what they were doing. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a whole other separate topic. I've been looking at like security, application security, best practices. And of course, um, people are saying use session, session storage. If you have the choice, uh, because that obviously it's cleared out when you close the browser, but then that conflicts with the user's desire to, uh, stay logged in, even if they close the browser. Right. So anyway, well, we'll the whole Firebase thing, they have
1: like, you know, they're, t- they're their token expires after an hour and then they have a refresh token. It's also stored in index DB. So it can kind of be a seamless up, you know, they go out in like in 59 minutes or whatever and get a, get a new token if the user still using the app and stuff. Yeah. So they, it's really nice in the sense that I don't have to think about all that stuff that much. Um, yeah. And that, so, but it works basically the, the same
0: way that you said. That's the classic like convenience versus security, right? I think people that are, purely security-minded will say, well, I don't really care if it's convenient and there's a refresh token. I'd rather just log them out all the time. <laughs> um, okay, so I I guess if it works that way, my thought would be the logged in, you really have three states that you're representing. Um, logged out or not logged in, or however you want to phrase that. And then authenticated with... Firebase, right? You, you have some credentials. You have that token with you now. And then I guess this final logged in phase. Could you not represent, could you not just have your code set some state of like authenticated is true and then have another Boolean that's like is logged in or logged in or however you are representing that once that final check is done? So that, that'd be part one of my uh, question. Well, I th- I
1: think you're, you know, when I was confronted with this problem earlier today, I started writing some code. Well, I started thinking about it a lot. Then I had to mow the yard so I can think about it. And then I had to take a shower so I could think about it. But I was thinking about it, right? And then I did write some code. And some of what you're saying is kind of reflected in the code that I wrote. Um, I, again, I know it's hard to talk about this over audio, but I do want to say one last thing or one other thing is that I am not manually, or at least I wasn't manually tr- tripping this is logged in flag. Mm-hmm. I was taking advantage of a of a an, a part of the Firebase SDK, or that mm-hmm. uh, that ha- basically allows me to add an event handler when the status is changed, the auth status is changed. Mm-hmm. And so I was basically just hooking into that and letting that yeah. kind of tell me if the user was logged in or not. And there's some other little complexities about like when the app initially loads, when the app, because when the app initially loads, um, it, like you, you you, don't know if they're authenticated yet, and then not until that function calls, that their ha- uh, their function, or sorry, their event happens do you know whether or not they're logged in? Because somebody might be logged in because their token hasn't expired, you know, and they just click refresh or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's, it's it's pretty. It gets even more complicated there. But but I, I did want to just add that that at the at the point when this bug existed, the reason why the toggle was happening before all the login process was done is because I was kind of like leaning on the Firebase SDK to tell me when it was logged in.
0: So that, was, that yeah. was really the heart of the bug. Um, and then there's some rendering set in React somewhere saying, hey, if this property becomes set to true, uh, route to a new component or or change something in the DOM or something like that. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So what you really want is, um, I don't think you're using observables like RxJS, right? Maybe using promises or something like that. Uh,
1: in this case, I'm not using any. I mean, essentially, the the React thing that gives me is just a callback function that fires, and mm-hmm. you know, I think um, I think the Firebase folks refer to it as an observable. So I guess it kind of is, like it gives you an unsubscribe handle or whatever. Um, but it's certainly not what you and your Angular land are familiar with. We right, don't, we don't I, mean, I don't have that. Now I will say that like as much as much as I understand about observables, the way that React sort of responds to changes of props, I mean it definitely reacts to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a little bit of an, of a disconnect here between my code, which is not really React, it's just JavaScript some JavaScript module that I wrote and trying to hook into the react sort of world, you know? Yeah. So that's why I have, I actually kind of have this function whenever you start the application, you know, from your react code, I'm I'm asking, I'm requiring that you, you add your own kind of login listener or whatever, your own like event handler there. It's the
0: same idea of what, um, firebase was doing i just sort of wrapped it right gotcha so you're just firing off of that event what you really want is to fire off your own event it's like you need another wrapper right yes like this uh you need to wrap um i guess if you're not using rxjs i would just go straight to native promises i'm not sure if it's in the um if it's available in browsers or what kind of cross-browser support you need to to work with, but uh, like a promise.all type situation where you have a couple of promises, um, they get resolved. One is the the Firebase resolving and then the other is this call to the the server. You might have to do some hardening on the server to say, well, if I say log in or here's a web token, let's get this person's information from the database. Oh, they're not there. Could you automatically add them or add just enough to make it work, but then redirect them to like a, hey, we need more details to complete your registration type situation. I don't know. There's all kinds of ways you could approach that situation. depends on what the, how much time you have, I suppose. Um, Well, it it feels like a multiple promise resolution situation. It kind of, I mean, there there are definitely
1: promises happening whenever I'm interacting with Firebase and interacting with my API, but, it's not, a promise at all. I don't think is a solution because the order matters. I can't, in general, I can't go and connect, well, not in general at all. I cannot hit my API until Firebase is done. Mm-hmm. So it's really just a chain of dot dens. And, and we're using, you know, uh, we're using promises without async and await in this class. So you might await it or whatever um, in the real world.
0: I guess I was pre- presuming that you. Um, yeah, I get that the order would matter, but don't you have the ability to not fire off your API call to say, "Hey, let's get this person's information" until the first promise completes? Like you would, you would just not even send that to the API until that first one completes. So you could still wait on that one, uh, but something at a higher yes. level is doing a, is doing the promise. All thing or some something like that.
1: Well, and the way prom the the kind of way a promises is if you have like a promise chain that ultimately returns a final promise that will mm-hmm. be resolved when the chain is all said and done. So it's a, it's a, I understand your, the concept there, and, and I'm kind of doing that, um, and I was doing that before. The idea was the problem was that there was this sort of side effect happening that was outside mm-hmm. of that promise chain, the side effect of Firebase sort of saying, oh, they're logged in now before, you know, outside of the whole kind of processing of this promise chain. And right. so I I think, you know, you, you said a minute ago, you this idea of like you had three states. Now I've decided that I have four states and I'm not hundred percent sure that that makes sense, but I have sort of, these are my four states. I have this unauthenticated, I have, Firebase authenticated but API unauthenticated
0: mm-hmm.
1: Then I have Firebase unauthenticated but API authenticated and then I have authenticated just completely authenticated mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure that I need the one between Firebase the Firebase authenticated or far, Firebase unauthenticated and API authenticated mm-hmm. but I thought I might be in a, in a situation where the token expired, or something happened on the Firebase end, where like in the middle of the application, maybe after after the user had sat there for a while, you know, mm-hmm. um, and because it will log you out after a while, like if if you if, of inactivity, uh, doesn't it doesn't refresh forever. At least that's my mm-hmm. understanding of it. Um, or if you leave, you know, if you just close the tab. Like it's not, it doesn't have like a service worker or something keeping you logged in. Uh, mm-hmm. So there there might, well, I guess closing the tab wouldn't affect this. But if you just sit there, stale for a while. I don't, I, I think there might be a situation, this is one of those weird saying, like I sort of like covering myself a little bit by having this weird state of we, Firebase hasn't been logged in, but we know the user exists in the database. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that might kind of come out in the wash, but. That's where I'm at now. So I built this kind of state machine. And I'm just staring at all this code that I've written. But that sort of transitions through all these different states. So basically, uh, I have those four states. I have, you know, unauthenticated. Firebase is authenticated. API is not. Firebase is not authenticated. API is. And then I have really authenticated. And then I have these sort of transitions between them. Mm-hmm. So Firebase login. The, and then API login and logout. Those are my three transitions that go between different states. Hmm. And I've simplified it a lot, I think, because logout is basically, no, you're, not, you're definitely not authenticated anymore. Just move right to the unauthenticated state. Mm-hmm. And then the different logins will probably happen in order of Firebase and then API. But I guess it doesn't have to happen in the way I've built this that way.
0: Hmm. Well, what? Uh, I guess, what piece of information do you get back from your own API to say, is it, is it just like their first name and last name or something like that, some configuration object you also save in DB or in just the, st- the memory of the app? Well, see, now this is interesting. I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna
1: claim it's interesting. So in a previous sort of version of this application, so I told you this is new code. This is new code. We And I don't want to necessarily get into it, but I had a a similar kind of application or similar kind of authentication process that uh, that we were not using anymore. Uh, But when I did have that, we were saving basically the user profile record in session storage. We're going to go, you know, we might go off on a little tangent here, but we were doing that because it's really just convenient. So you want to know, put the person's name in the upper right hand corner or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you might do something like that. It's pretty straightforward. But the problem was, is that students didn't really understand some subtle, there was like a subtle uh, repercussion to that, that that students were uh, passing up, they were making API calls and passing up the currently logged in user's ID in mm-hmm. for scenarios that were like security sensitive, right? So mm-hmm. like, instead of relying on the token to kind of you know embody that that authentication, they were just passing up the user's profile ID
0: mm. and just getting back some information. So yeah an, something that call. might be personal yeah
1: i mean it was authorized but they were ignoring the the token and just accepting whatever came in as a like a route parameter or something oh i see i got you and so i try to tell them to stop doing that and 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 it's this is a hard concept to understand like well you've got it's right here i'm looking at it hard <laughs> you know
0: you, you, you've picked two of the hardest concepts in then like a regular application you know working developer's life is uh authentication, authorization, security stuff, and uh, asynchronous programming. It is, it is really complex. Um, and, and some students
1: would kind of understand when I explained to them, well, you're kind of opening the door, you're opening your app up for like some kind of impersonation sort of security exploit here. Uh, but oftentimes a lot of students didn't understand, or even if they did understand, we had to go through that rigmarole of talking about it. And so, in this current version of this code, I'm not saving any information about the current user in in the React application. But you know, f- just for that reason, just if they don't have it there, then they then they can't use it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that that so. So yeah, your your question about whether or not I'm saving anything, I'm not saving anything. I'm I am just. Right now, in this current crazy code that I just wrote earlier today, I'm saving uh, sort of a, a login
0: status, which might be in one of those states that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, then Firebase some, save
0: something. Some Boolean or something saying, yes, we've checked it and they're good. Or they're there,
1: right? Well, I built this kind of funky state machine that again, maybe is weird, but it's like four different functions that each sort of return the next state basically mm-hmm. so uh, it's kind of fun i read all this code it's a little bit weird but it's something that i can give to the students assuming i don't know i'm want to simplify this but assume, if i can simple if i can give this to the students many students um well what uh, you what what ends up happening is they sort of self select So some students are really so fascinated by what's going on that they really try to dig in and understand and they learn something from it. Mm -hmm. But then some students like just believe me and accept the abstraction like you don't need to know this. And they're like, okay, there's other stuff. It's hard enough. I don't need to know this. Mm -hmm. And in in those situations, like both students are right. You know, Mm -hmm. like a student that's ready to learn something new can dig into this code and the students that aren't can just ignore it. Say, you know, unless I have like terrible bugs that I've written in there and then kind of then they have to deal with those. Um, Yeah. But I can make this code as complicated as I want. I mean, I don't really want it to be particularly complicated, but I don't have to worry about, you know, making this code particularly simple. So instead of having like Booleans or some kind of like just a variable that can be in some different state, I tried to make it a little bit more rigorous.
0: Well, I don't know what you need to do but I do want to hook on to something you just said that I find kind of fascinating, uh, which is the students who are able to say, I don't need to know what this means. Um, which it, you know, when you compare them to the other students who want to dig in and understand it all, you might think, Oh, they lack curiosity, but i I've come to believe that it takes so much discipline and maturity to say, I don't need to, I can just continue to get my work done. I can continue to learn these things that I'm already learning. I don't need to go down every path that I find. Uh, Maybe both strategies work out in the end if you follow them all the way. Um, But I just find it actually quite mature of people when they're able to say, I don't have to know how this all works. I can trust this library to do the right thing. I don't need to understand how a, a JSON web token is encoded um, I, I just know that it works and I'll come back to that at some point when I'm ready Um, so I, I'm just really fascinated by the students who like you said self-select into those kind of groups you know what what's the, the real thought process behind it is it is it just laziness is it maturity is it just uh, focus you well know, you know
1: I sort of left off a little piece of that maybe I implied it but I didn't I didn't spell it out as well as I should have um most students don't know what they need to know so they think that they need to know everything Mm -hmm. and it's I mean sometimes there's a level of maturity so it's not maturity like as an adult but it's kind of maturity as a developer I think Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know to know what um, like what you can just ignore what abstractions to trust so the thing that I didn't say that I should have said is there's some value in me making this code more complex because that is what causes the students to self-select. Code that a student can look at and have some hope of understanding will actually cause more problems. You mm-hmm. kind of want the level of complexity to be pretty great so that a student tries to look at it and then they remember the, the message that I've given them like before, you don't have to understand this. And they're like, okay, you know what? He said I didn't have to understand it. so. And I don't, so let's just move on. So, you know, for many students, there is that need of like kind of pushing them beyond their comfort zone that helps them realize, oh, I can back away from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really is. There, there are some students that just trust me when I say you don't need to understand something, uh, but it's 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 certainly a challenge uh, for that that they have where. They don't know. They don't know what to focus
0: on because it's just all coming at them so quickly, and it's also new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other part I wanted to comment on was just when you were mentioning that they um, just so easily turned off authentication, right? Just uh, yeah, you're passing up your your JSON Web Token, but well, they comment out a line or they ignore a line or something like that, and you're not authenticating anymore. There's no policy or anything that you're checking for to get work done and just how easy it is for developers to break the security model by commenting out or leaving out one line of code. Um, I've just been doing a lot of thinking about application security lately. And, and that's the part that that I think about a lot is like how easy it is to make something insecure um, and that we really need a wealth of, of tools and, and uh, checks to go behind us and say, you know, are all these assumptions about the way that it works true? Some kind of like either static code analysis or um, application like penetration testing or something like that. Just just how complicated that whole world is. It really is. It, And I think you make an interesting point.
1: Like you can have the most robust security, you know, that that is possible to create and then somebody's trying to test an API endpoint and they just comment out like an authorized attribute or something on their web API. Mm-hmm. And then you're done, right? And then it, the door is mm-hmm. open. I mean, right. there are mitigations you can take, but I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of times that that sort of code ends up in the production bef- without mm-hmm. a code reviews
0: catching it or any kind of testing catching it. Right. Yeah, spe- that's why I've really come to prefer explicit um, explicit statements that are co-located with the code they're affecting. Like when you have these policies that, oh, you set them in some file and you never look at that file again. It's your startup file, or that's probably a bad example, uh, but your program file that sets some configuration. Um, fantastic, now you've got it set up. Well, how do you know that it's there? I would rather it be and I know you're not a fan of in uh, C-sharp of attributes, but I do like attributes and I like when they're, they're, you know, right there with my methods. So I know what what's happening rather than it being some either uh, convention based thing. Oh, I named it a certain way. So the framework's going to take over and make it secure. Right. Or something like that. I really have come to appreciate explicit, even though it leads to more code and definitely I, I I agree with the argument that it adds to code clutter. Um, I just find the trade-off to be worth it. Well, when you're building things,
1: when you're actually, cause you're actually writing code for people in the real world. And um, if you're building uh, an API in, in C-sharp that requires um, authorization or authentication or whatever, do you turn it on for every endpoint and then explicitly turn it off with whatever the allow anonymous attribute?
0: Yeah, generally we'll do that. Although um, there's only a few things that I've personally worked on where anonymous is an option. Um, so generally something is protected you know, blanketly by some type of authentication scheme and then you're going to have individual policies based on oh I don't know this person needs to be in this type of role to do this action right so that gets down to the action level of the controller rather than being at the the control the, the top of the controller like all these all these actions inside this controller are going to have this policy I'd rather see them attached to the individual action even if they're all the same because I like that level of granularity. But I that, see. That, so you're you know, it's right like right. a bit of a personal preference, but. Um, You're not, you're not really talking
1: about like authenticated versus unauthenticated. You're talking about like what role, what privileges the user has.
0: Right. You're just assuming
1: out the, you know, out of the gate that you're, you have to be authenticated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I guess that's, that's more common for me these days, um, working in that. So I've been doing a lot of work with the Azure Active Directory, um, which I guess you could say is sort of a, competitor or alternative to Firebase or Okta or, you know, the other uh, identity providers. Although Azure Active Directory has tons and tons of features, it's a huge system I, I can't imagine. I mean, you, you'd really have to be a specialist to, in only AAD, I think, to fully understand all the stuff it can do and how to how to work it and manage it. But I've been doing a lot of work with AAD recently and it, and it feels very similar to the setup that you were describing. Um, You know, when we want to integrate Angular uh, with Firebase or with with, uh, AD, uh, we kind of lean on this Microsoft-provided library uh, that, that really handles a lot of stuff for you. You just kind of give it your individual credentials, like what's your app ID and things like that, and it'll handle pretty much the the redirects and and the API calls making sure your your token your authorization header is is got the token attached and all that stuff um it, it's it's there's a lot of parallels with what you were describing i was just curious this this library or this code that you were using is it straight from firebase or was it somebody's implementation or was it entirely your own implementation you mentioned well, SDK I wasn't yeah sure. the, the, is that, that is from firebase yeah they have oh, okay. and so I and everything else is the code that I wrote um, and is it react specific or is it just plain JavaScript like this is our JavaScript SDK how you get it to work with your app and your redirects and all that stuff that's all up to you it is yeah the firebase doesn't offer anything react specific
1: there oh. there I have seen there there's at least one sort of like firebase react um library mm-hmm. but the last time and it's been a minute since i looked at it but the last time I, I looked at it it wasn't really it wasn't up to date you know react is changing constantly it feels like it's changing constantly maybe maybe it's actually slowed down just a little bit this year but up until last year or this year it was changing all the time and so this library just hadn't kept up to date so we, we just yeah. sort of threw it out and we also sort of have an interest in you know maybe minimizing our dependencies i mean that's sort of like kind of maybe laughable in the javascript world
0: but a little to some degree minimizing our our uh, dependencies um, no i think that that's um i mean maybe it's like a bit of a tick tock kind of cycle of you know 2015 it was all about i oh, would just take a dependency on everything take 10000 dependencies um don't worry about it just just include it and um it'll make your life better oh you need a calendar just you know go find the most popular calendar um the, the, the idea of writing your own was sort of laughable oh someone's done that there's ten thousand of them just go go grab one for yourself and i feel like we've swung a bit the other way for a variety of reasons um but i think that's a good thing actually i think that we had we did go a little bit you know dependency crazy um maybe you know five six years ago and and hopefully things are maturing a little bit um we've realized that you know, at least in the enterprise space you know you can't uh take a dependency on HackerMan man 5000's tool uh, maybe for security reasons but also it, it's not you know he's going to go away right the the, the the amount of abandonware in the open source space is incredible staggering that we've have these tools like GitHub and, and whatnot, where people can um, create the, the the packages or host them on NPM. And you think, oh, how fantastic, this is gonna make me developing this app so much simpler. But the long run, it's actually kind of hurt us a little bit in terms of supportability. And maybe people don't care about supportability, maintainability, but that's, that's the space I inhabit now. And I've become much more um, adverse to just take a dependency on something.
1: Yeah, and the reason I say it's kind of laughable in JavaScript is, I mean, I don't, I think maybe in, in your world, you're more in the Angular space. Angular's a little bit more batteries included. But every time I do an NPM install in this re, in any kind of React application, there's somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 packages get installed. And I'm like, you know, I don't know what these things are. And I know the React uh, the the React team at Facebook are they're doing some degree of vetting of this stuff, but there's they don't have there's like seven people or whatever on that team right they're not doing yeah. that much, and so i, I you know I, I don't know I don't know how much it, it's realistic to I don't know maybe I'm just giving up a little bit on that, but maybe again it's because of'cause of react maybe um maybe angular. Is they're writing more of that code themselves, and so you can have a little bit, you know, fewer dependencies, or at least fewer dependencies from random third parties.
0: Yeah, I get the. I mean, so there's still quite a lot of dependencies that are that are taken in Angular, and you get a pretty healthy node modules folder for sure when you do a basic Angular app install. Um, I, I'd, I'd be interested to see like if we could study that if we could just install um, a. Angular version eight or something like that. And then install Angular version 12 and just kind of look at the dependencies and say, is it getting bigger? Is it getting smaller over time? I get the sense that it's getting smaller, but um, yeah, I don't know. That, I guess that is just something that we could look into. That's um, cool.
1: That'd be, that'd, I could, that sounds like somebody's uh, part of somebody's PhD. Yeah. They need to understand well, like the evolution of JavaScript dependency uh,
0: paranoia. Right, exactly. Um. That does. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Maybe when uh, the reference counting podcast has a scholarship program, we can fund that kind of research or something like that. That's perfect. Um, so, want to switch topics, but give me the opportunity if you wanted to say anything else. No. Uh, yeah. I question. just
1: sort of wanted to talk through my problem a little bit, and you know, make people listen to me. When I did, so that was <laughs> exactly. good. This just is rubber sort of ducking via
0: podcast now, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about uh, GitHub Copilot. Um, I've been using it a little bit, and I just have some thoughts. And I know, you know, at the time of recording this, there's there's quite a bit of controversy on GitHub Copilot being, you know, where is it getting its. uh, source from or you know where where is it sourcing the the code that it's helping you write from i'm not sure i'm explaining that correctly but like what's the license of that are they they dumping code into your code that is got the proper license for that um yeah there's all kinds of issues about where it's being sourced from where that information is being sourced from how the system is learning that new code didn't didn't necessarily have any comments on that um just just aware that it's out there and that that um I expect we'll see or hear something more from GitHub in the future about how that actually works and what the the proper attribution should be. Um, But I did want to talk about just using it in general. And I have to say, I've been pretty impressed by the experience. Um, I have not really had the experience that I saw a lot of people on Twitter sharing, which was uh, they start... They maybe type a comment saying, I need a method that calculates uh, uh, Fahrenheit to Celsius or something like that. And then it just spits out an entire method. My experience has been more around just uh, I'm typing a a single line and it kind of figures out what a, a particular formula is, right? I was doing some date math in JavaScript last night and it figured out what I was wanting the conversion to be based on i guess the method name i'm not sure how it's figuring this stuff out but uh, so far those little things and just tab to complete has been um, pretty incredible i'm pretty impressed by the technology i'd say it has about a 70 ish percent kind of knowing what i exactly want or getting it correct you know it's definitely not always correct but it's when it's not correct it's pretty close and i'm able to complete it and then go fix oh it's off by one i needed to do plus one here or something like that so pretty pretty excited about the technology pretty excited about um, where it's headed i mean i assume i presume this is only the beginning and it'll get smarter and better and maybe tuned more finely for the individual user as it goes along I didn't know if you had had a chance to play with it or had any thoughts on it.
1: Well, I know that. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge that you finally got your Code Butler. It, you
0: it, said it, not me. It only took,
1: yes. it didn't take that long into the podcast, right. actually. This is episode exactly.
0: 16, and I think we've been talking about it the whole time. Um, we can assume that they are listeners, I think, and that they, episode one or two, I can't remember when we first mentioned the Code Butler, but they got right on it. And I appreciate that. Thank you. GitHub. You know, that that's
1: probably right. It's probably like, you know, all the, all the GitHub, uh, European employees are listening in. Um, you know, I haven't actually used it yet. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's why I wrote this bug in this code last week, but, um, I've seen it a little bit. I, uh, I watched, um, actually a presentation at a, at a user group uh, where a guy was using it. It was kind of interesting just to just to observe him writing some code and, you know, it, filling in the blanks. And you know, I, I think it was never what he wanted to do, as a matter of fact. But it was kind of like specific sort of... Um, mm-hmm. It was actually AD authentication code that he was trying to mess with. And I, I don't know. Maybe that's not the best use case for it. But um, it was, you know... I was impressed with its attempt and I was impressed with its sort of performance and it's, you know, kind of like seamlessness. Mm -hmm. So it didn't, it didn't seem to like have a negative impact on his experience. I mean, and he had a pretty easy job of like, of, of just moving on and just ignoring what it was doing. It seemed pretty straightforward to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, So I guess, I guess that speaks to my own, my own kind of fears about it. That it would just be like, that this code butler will be constantly offering me things
0: you know that i don't want and not and I haven't rung the bell or whatever yet there must be some confidence metric behind the scenes so it's true it's, it's non-blocking i never see it like slow down my typing or, or get in the way really but there must be some confidence behind the scenes like hey um only show them a suggestion if you're pretty sure it definitely does not pop up all the time
1: yeah it's not like intellisense like intellisense is always there whenever you hit dot Mm -hmm. you know but yeah that that's interesting i did notice that it was like yeah i think you're right some some degree of like i can actually help here versus i'm just gonna move on um i don't know i i really don't know what to think about it i feel like it is a it's a game changer but I don't. I just feel like in, incompetent or like unable to to even hazard a guess as to how it's going to change things. And everybody's got opinions about it, but I don't know. Like I don't know if this is if literally like you know a, a, a noticeable or perceivable step towards a lot of software development being automated. You know or mm-hmm. if it's really just a, a tool, a helpful thing that will, that will kind of carry us along. so long. It literally is the butler you've been talking about where it just means that we can be more performant or more efficient and not actually, but not actually reduce the number of software developers. Is it gonna become like some sort of crutch where people don't read that code and they don't see that off by one error that you mentioned earlier and then there's all kinds of extra bugs that get thrown into the mix? I mean, yeah, I don't I know.
0: That's a that's a great point to explore for a second with the, the crutch aspect of it. Because um, I'm I'm kind of a believer in um, you know the the crutches hurt us in the long run, and and it's not just like amazing tools like Code Butler. It's like um, syntax highlighting or code formatting, right? I think there is something to be said about someone who can from time to time open up Notepad and code without the the IntelliSense or without the other helpers that, that we've come to know in our IDEs. Um, I don't know if I want to say like it makes us lazy, but I think that the, it, there is some type of atrophy that happens when you just defer a lot of your critical thinking and, and, and stuff to the tools. So there's a mixture I guess that's needed.
1: I don't know. I think... I think there's like a a big difference between syntax highlighting and, and this sort of co-pilot code Butler approach to things. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're definitely tools to help a developer to be more productive. Right. Right. But syntax highlighting is, um, is it's not, I don't think there's any scenario where syntax highlighting has made me a lazier programmer. I think it's only helped me it's only shown me like you know one of the things the syntax holly does is it shows you when you have some kind of error like further up the file or whatever because the highlighting is all off mm-hmm. you know that's one of the things but, i show my students like hey look this
0: looks funky there's something wrong here you know sure and i think that i guess what i'm suggesting is yes that definitely does help it does make us more productive these tools definitely make us more productive but we are outsourcing some of the things that we would have to do ourselves that just from time to time are useful exercises for us like i don't need to um, code this way all the time but it would be useful for me to write some code write a file or whatever and and manually check it myself manually do the in the formatting of the code and to to refresh my memory and to gain an appreciation to reset myself and say you know what this is why syntax highlighting is a good thing because this is a waste of my time. I can outsource this to the tool. It's sort of like taking a step back uh, occasionally. I don't think that I'm, I'm not suggesting everyone needs to just drop what they're doing and go to notepad, but I think it's a useful exercise from time to time.
1: Yeah, I I guess it's a matter of degree. I I think, because one of the things that I do, um, I like, you know, I'm in my personal, computing life i like to use linux mm-hmm. um, but i still like to do you know c sharp development and so i end up doing a lot of writing a lot of code in visual studio code on linux mm-hmm. and the tools in vs code are you know have notably improved since i started using them to write c sharp code but it's not the same as visual studio you know for one of, you know super simple example is like you know, add new item, get a class that has a bunch of stuff or a new controller in say ASP.NET, right? You know, it's just, it has like all the usings at the top. It has a namespace. It has like the initial um, kind of boilerplate there. And I, and I do miss that, you know, but I, I think sometimes I think this is a useful exercise like you're saying to go write that out. And again, I get some help. It's not, Z, it's not like notepad level. But it's not quite as much as Visual Studio, uh, and I do sometimes find myself getting a little fresher. Like, oh, I don't even know how to do this. Like, I don't even remember. You know, is it? Do I, you know? Is this an async thing or is this not or whatever? Mm-hmm. I can name mm-hmm. a good example. Um, but yeah, I have to I have to go and look something up that I might not have to do in Visual Studio, or right. sometimes like the you know um, you know frankly the OmniSharp tool is amazing but it's a little bit buggy sometimes. And so sometimes it just stops working. And then I have to like, I've had moments, I've had times where I could not get OmniSharp to work. And suddenly I don't even have like IntelliSense. I don't have, you know, dot completion or whatever. So then I'm really doing it. And then you start thinking, then then I started thinking about, you know, my uh, my experience with Python and how it's nice to have like a fewer, like a less verbose language, to be honest. Hmm.
0: Um Well, I want to make a prediction and this is um, it's really not much of a prediction, but maybe it's because I think it's a sure thing and and maybe it's not. I don't know. You tell me. So we have GitHub Copilot. GitHub is owned by Microsoft. Uh, Visual Studio 2022, also owned by Microsoft, is coming out, I think, in November. So we're a few months away from that. Um, and it has a feature called IntelliCode, which I don't know have you had a chance to play with Visual Studio 2022 2022 yet? I have not. It's not exactly like Copilot although it has some of the same kind of experience some of the experience that I've been having with Copilot you know, smartly finishing your property name so you typed in, uh, you have a string name first name, let me guess, you want a string name last name Uh, next right things like that Um, it's a a little bit smarter than that but um, so here's my prediction these tools are going to become really popular in the microsoft c-sharp typescript space and developers that are associated with those spaces will will become associated with these ai helper tools right like when you say five years from now probably even sooner than that yeah, I'm a c Sharp developer, it will be presumed that you are working with an AI assistant in a way that it will not be assumed you're, if you said you were a Python developer or some other language, Golang or something like that. So I think it, uh, the idea uh, will become synonymous with the c Sharp ASP.NET core space, that it will just be a part of the ecosystem, specifically in the Microsoft world.
1: I don't know. It's funny you say that because like you say that's inevitable. I really maybe, you know, I just I'm not opinionated enough about this because I have no idea. I do. I don't. Maybe that is inevitable, but I can't see it. I can't see that. I mean, it feels like this does feel like something that is outside of the language i mean the github thing the copilot thing specifically like outside of that language community um i can see maybe more verbose languages maybe the java folks are going to use this you know too maybe that would or or people who maybe use ide's more regularly than you know Mm -hmm. or than vim or whatever i mean Mm -hmm. maybe that's the, the delineator i don't know um but i can also sort of imagine a reality where this sort of technology doesn't work where it's like the Google Glass, right? It's like there's... It mm-hmm. sort of works, but it's got these other things that people don't like about it or it just doesn't... It, it doesn't connect with us quite right or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm I curious to see to, uh, what happens and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about it because it seems so unknown to me. Not right. because... Not because I think it's inevitably going to be bad, but just because it could be and I could also just be irritating you know like it could be mm-hmm. good it could be terrible and it could be irritating and i think two
0: of the three of those <laughs> are not so good to me yeah. Maybe that's why
1: i'm nervous about it
0: well i'm gonna set a calendar reminder from five years from now we'll we'll have a uh, a reunion podcast and, so you uh, you talking about that, where
1: we're. do you assume that we'll have ended the podcast we'll be very famous by then Right. So we won't <laughs> right. have a lot of time for podcasting. And we'll get back together, get the band back together. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Five years. I,
0: if our AI assistants allow it. Yes. Know, I'm not sure right. what the state of the world will be in five years. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's a natural evolution of where we are currently with our IDs, And maybe it's a big, bigger of a jump than we're used to. Uh, but these tools have been getting really smart now i think we finally have like the data or they have the data rather to build these these advanced ai tools and we have the internet speed and the computer speed to devote the power to um to making these real time making it accessible so um yeah we'll see i don't i don't think that it's just okay we've hit the the, the top of the hill and now it's all downhill from here and it's just easy coasting i think there's going to be bumps and starts and like you said there's going to be some frustration people are going to be annoyed by it or someone's going to discover some giant security hole with it or something like that who knows um what kind of setbacks are in line for for these kinds of tools but i think it, it's the way the developer space is, is headed is these AI helpers, not AI replacements for, for humans. I don't believe in that. But um, yeah, I think that we're just gonna be surrounded by AI helpers, not just in the coding space either, but everything else that that uh, a person that, that builds software for a living does in their day to day. So we'll, we'll see.
1: It is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I, I know we don't really have time to get into it anymore or the understanding, but. I think your point earlier at the very beginning of this conversation about the legal ramifications is that's another huge mystery that I don't even know what that's mm-hmm. going to look like. I think I think that could be like, you know, how Google Glass had the, this looks really stupid, like when I'm walking around on the street or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's what killed it in a large way. Like the, the intellectual property aspect of this and the, the copyright issues and all that stuff that might be the the death nail for this stuff too, or at least for for now. You know, I think AR is going to come back just like you know Google Glass was ahead of its time, and maybe this will come back again. But anyway, I don't know. I'm I'm not making sure. predictions, but I think that is a one possible future as well.
0: Yeah, and maybe my deficiency is is around the fact that I thought uh, Google Glasses was was real cool, and I did not understand that it did not look cool. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's on me um okay well uh always fun chatting with you andy uh it, it's good now my mind is turning and i'm, I'm ready to record another episode uh just <laughs> but we have to wrap it up here so um any parting thoughts for us no
1: just to reiterate if you're out there if you're listening just you know drop us a line on twitter or whatever you can send us an email that sort of thing um we'd just like to hear if this is something that you enjoy I mean, I know we rambled on a lot. This was a pretty informal kind of just off the cuff like, conversation like we would normally have if we were just sitting around having a beer. Um, is that good? You know, we've done a couple of episodes about, you know, let's dig into some bigger
0: topic. Um, I just just like a
1: little feedback. What, what do you all think out there?
0: Yeah. Well, hit us up on Twitter, RefCount Podcast on Twitter, RefCountPodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us an email, we will read it on air read your comments on air as long as it's a uh, kind of appropriate and uh, sort of family friendly um all right well i'll talk to you next time